Welcome to the Canon Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Tim Emmett, the lead pastor at Canon, and I hope that this message will help you take your next step with Jesus as he leads us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from the world as it is to the world as it will be. Thanks for joining us. They call themselves the Never Miss a Super Bowl Club. Don Christman, Gregory Eaton, and Tom Henschel have been to every single Super Bowl since Super Bowl I on January 15, 1967. This will be their 57th trip to see the Super Bowl in person from the stands. Back in 1967, during Super Bowl I, tickets cost $12, and the halftime show consisted of two college bands along with the release of some balloons and some pigeons. I'm not sure why the pigeons were there at halftime. Over the years, Crisman, uh, Eaton, and Henschel have thought about bringing their streak to an end. When the trio was recognized during halftime at Super Bowl 50, Crisman decided that 50 years was long enough that was a good number to end on. But then his team, the Patriots, made Super Bowl 51. And so, of course, he had to go and he kept the streak alive. Not surprisingly, Super Bowl 51 is Crisman's favorite since the Patriots were down, as some of you may recall... 28-3 to a team from Georgia late in the third quarter, but then came back to win in overtime. One year, Tom Henschel was stuck in the ER on game day after an allergic reaction to seafood he ate the night before, but that did not stop him. When his nurse left the room, he drew the IV out of his arm, threw off his oxygen mask, snuck out of the hospital, hailed a cab back to the hotel so he could meet his friends and go to the game. Needless to say... Don Crisman, Gregory Eaton, and Tom Henschel are more than fans of the Super Bowl. They are super fans of the Super Bowl. And they are not done. They will, as I mentioned, be at the game today in Glendale, Arizona, and they plan to be at next year's game, too. For all that they have seen, they still have Super Bowl dreams that are as yet unfulfilled. Gregory Eaton wants to see his Lions make the Super Bowl. And all three of them dream one year of doing the coin toss. They are more than fans. They are super fans. Believers in Jesus can be seen as fans of Jesus. And we are. Uh, Fans have have been defined as enthusiastic admirers. And who of us here is not an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus? Even if you do not identify yourself as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, if you're watching this, listening to this, present in our sanctuary, chances are you at least admire Jesus, look up to Jesus, are interested in Jesus. You've seen enough, heard enough that you want to know more. But I'm guessing that for most everyone here in our sanctuary joining us online, you would say, yes, absolutely, I am a fan of Jesus. I am an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus. After all, if you think about it, many of us post scripture on our Facebook or other social media pages. We might wear a t-shirt that has a scripture verse or or a cross. Many of us do wear crosses, which clearly signify a devotion to Jesus, an enthusiastic admiration for Jesus. Perhaps you have some artwork on the walls of your office or your home, paintings of parables or stories about Jesus. Everyone here, in one way or another, is a fan of Jesus, an enthusiastic admirer 
of Jesus. Some of us, perhaps, maybe some of us here or people you have known, you might even label super fans in Jesus. That means perhaps that they quote Scripture frequently in conversation and read their Bible constantly. Maybe they only listen to Christian music. It's an overwhelming passion and a constant preoccupation. But clearly, believers in Jesus can be seen and are uh, can be seen as and are fans of Jesus. But as Jesus makes clear from our reading in Luke's gospel, we are called to be more than fans of Jesus. We are called to be more than super fans of Jesus. We are called to be followers, disciples of Jesus. As we heard Jesus say, "If any want to become." my followers. When he said that, what he meant was, if anyone wants to become my disciple, if anyone wants to become my student, my apprentice in kingdom living, that does not mean if out of the many believers in me, a few, a small select group of of just a few of you want to take another step and become my disciple, then this is how you do that. That is how this teaching of Jesus has been heard at times in the history of the church. The assumption has been that most of us will be believers in Jesus. We will be Christians, but only a few of us will be disciples of Jesus. That kind of relationship with Jesus is rare, and so it really only applies to a few, perhaps to pastors and priests and Sunday school teachers. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what it says in this passage. It's not what he says really anywhere in the New Testament. If any want to become my follower, if anyone wants to follow after me, become my disciple, become my student, become my apprentice, he's looking at each of us and all of us, not a few of us and some of us. Discipleship to Jesus is not an optional, more costly version of faith in Jesus. Instead, discipleship to Jesus is the basic shape of faith in Jesus. According to the Gospels, according to Jesus, faith means following. Faith in Jesus is active and personal, not transactional and passive. It is faith in Jesus, not mental assent to a doctrine about Jesus. And Jesus himself calls us to that kind of faith in him. Most religious teachers say, here is the truth, follow it. Jesus says, I am the truth, follow me. And again, in this passage, Jesus says, if any want to become my followers. Let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. In the Gospels, according to Jesus, faith means following, not earning or deserving, but actively, personally trusting in Jesus. We are called to be more than fans, called to be more even than super fans. We are called to be followers, disciples or students of Jesus. In other words, we are called to far more than spectator spirituality. That is a way of interacting with Jesus that is actually quite common in our history, and there are both Roman Catholic and Protestant versions of spectator spirituality. I mean, if you think about it, we're sort of trained to be spectators, to see ourselves in the stands, in the audience, watching the show. And there's a sense in which, of course, because we are saved by God's grace, through faith alone and Christ alone, we receive. I mean, the the, the primary action is, is the work of Jesus. 
I mean, I have said before, most of you have heard me say that the Bible is not primarily a book about us. It is instead a book about God, who God is and what God is like and what God has done, is doing, will do. But that doesn't mean that we're spectators. The Catholic version of spectator spirituality has really identified the ongoing work of God with the work of the priesthood. And so the job of the laity was to pray and pay. Go to Mass, go to confession, and give to the church. That's your part. Leave the heavy lifting to the priests. That is spectator spirituality. Many of you were raised Roman Catholic, and I can't speak for now, but I know kind of, you know, for a long time, especially if you grew up kind of early, you know, mid-20th century, I guess, you know, it was basically trust the church, pray and pay. Among Protestants, of course, our spectator spirituality has been something like just believe, right? Because we are saved, we are forgiven by God, by grace alone, so just believe. And too often, believe just means mental assent to a proposition. Say this prayer, and you will be forgiven, and you'll go to heaven when you die. And I'm not mocking any of that, but most of you have heard me say before, there's a whole lot more to the gospel and salvation than that. The invitation of Jesus, the call of Jesus in this passage and others like it in the gospels is an invitation. It is a call to be more than fans or even super fans of Jesus. More than enthusiastic admirers of Jesus. Not less... Not other, we are fans, but we're also called, even more we are called, to be followers of Jesus, to put our trust in Jesus, and as Sasha said, to get out of the stands and onto the field. Jesus does not invite us into a spectator spirituality where we kind of sit back and just watch what he does, or what a few others do. Each of us is called, all of us are called into the life of a disciple of Jesus by the risen Lord. These words that he spoke and through which the scripture he speaks once again are words spoken directly to each of us this morning. They're spoken to me. They are spoken to you. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, and Jesus wants you to be a follower of his, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. In other words, we are not called to a spectator spirituality, but really to a subversive spirituality. That means we live in the world, fully in the world, but as you, as you may know from John's Gospel, not of the world. We don't run away from the world. We don't hide in a little Christian colony or cul-de-sac. We live in the world with those who share our faith and with those who do not. We live in the world as it is, toward the world as it will be. Think for a moment of the gospel Jesus preached, the good news that he preached, and which we therefore also ought to preach. The kingdom of God has come near. The power of God to set right and heal the whole world has come near. It's here right now through Jesus. And anyone can enter into that. Anyone can become a part of that. That's the grace of the invitation. That's the grace of the call. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me. He didn't say, if any really smart, really successful, really religious people want to come after me. 
He didn't say, if any Northerners, if any Southerners, if any Republicans, if any Democrats, if any football fans, any baseball fans. He didn't limit it to only some people in some places with some record behind them to commend them to Jesus. What he said was, if anyone, I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done, if you want to come and follow me, you can come. Door is wide open. I'd love to see you. That's the grace of the call. And what sounds hard, what sounds intimidating, what sounds negative to our ears, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, is not negative, it's positive. It's an invitation to enter into this kind of relationship with Jesus, more than fans, followers. Actively, personally relating to and following Jesus daily. It's actually kind of weird that we get to be disciples of Jesus. I mean, how can we be disciples of someone who was crucified 2,000 years ago? No one claims to be a disciple of Gamaliel, a first century Jewish rabbi. They might read his words, but they're not disciples of his they're disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples on and on 2,000 years of, this, of masters and teachers. But we are directly discipled by the Jesus who was crucified because he was raised and is present in us and with us by the Spirit. We don't follow someone we will see one day, though we will. We follow someone we get to be with right now. If anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We just finished a sermon series called Five Simple Ways to Have a Great Year. We focused on five simple habits, five simple disciplines, sort of essential and central practices of the Christian faith. And the whole point of that, of course, is not to earn or deserve anything at all from God, And it's not to fulfill some religious duties and check a box that said, yes, I read my Bible. Yes, I prayed today. Yes, I gave to the church. The point of all of those practices is to connect with the risen Lord and through that connection with him, through that discipleship to him, grow in love. Love for others, love for God. I mean, that's why those habits can be so life-giving heart-altering, world-changing, because they are just means of grace, means for us to connect and be connected with the risen Lord. They're not just a few weird religious rules. They are vibrant, life-giving means of God's grace. And in Lent, as you heard this morning, we're going to go on the road with Jesus. We're going to walk with Jesus from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. We're going to retrace his journey through Samaria to Judea, um, to the upper room, and to the cross. And the whole point of that journey is to help us in our place, our time, listen to Jesus, walk with Jesus, be taught and trained by Jesus. More than that, and you're going to hear more about this this week, I want to, we're inviting everyone in our church, all of our members and friends, to read the whole gospel according to Luke in the season of Lent. One gospel in 40 days, you can do it. It's just one gospel in 40 days. 24 chapters in 40 days, you can do it. 
I don't care how busy you are. We're going to make it easier for you. We're going to pre-record the readings for each day and make them available on our podcast so you can listen to the readings if that works better. But the point, of course, is not to read the Gospel of Luke and check a box and say, I did it. I fulfilled that obligation. It's to get close to Jesus. It's to meet Jesus in the Scriptures. I mean, if we're invited into this personal relationship with our crucified, risen, reigning Lord, what better way to be with Him than to be in the Gospels on a regular basis? And what better time to get into the Gospels than in the season of Lent? Lent is an annual pilgrimage with Jesus. We'll spend 40 days, six weeks, walking with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. We are called, you and I are called, we're invited to be fans, but more than fans, to be followers of Jesus, to be filled with the kind of faith that is personal and active. And so I hope you will take those, walk with us uh, as we walk together with Jesus. And as you watch the game this evening, some of you will, many of you won't, some of you I know are just hanging around for the commercials. I want to invite you to ask, where am I in my relationship with Christ? Am I in the stands or am I in the field? Because I'm invited onto the field to be part of what God is continuing to do in the world through His Son. Faith is not passive. You are called to way more than praying and paying. And it's personal. It's not just sort of assenting to a doctrine about Jesus and his death for us on the cross. It is personally, actively trusting in Jesus. And Jesus himself has called and is calling you to follow him. In 1969, uh, Vince Lombardi, who was already a legendary coach, became the head coach of the Washington Redskins. A couple years previously, Lombardi had retired as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. In nine seasons, Lombardi had led the Packers to five championships, including the first two Super Bowls. Five championships in nine years. Stunning record. He was a living legend, and then he retired, and he could not stay retired. He couldn't stay on the, he, he couldn't just watch it. He had to be part of it, and so he accepted an invitation to become head coach of the Washington Redskins, who were really bad. When Sam Huff, who had just retired uh, as one of the Redskins linebackers, heard that Lombardi was coming, he called the old coach. Now, if you don't know the name Sam Huff, you need to know that he is a Hall of Fame linebacker, a perennial all-pro. He had played for Lombardi when Lombardi was an assistant coach with the New York Giants, and then he had finished his career with the Washington Redskins. He had just retired. He was ready to hang it up. He was an old player, but when he heard that his old coach was coming to his old team, he called him up and said, Coach... I want to come out of retirement and play for you. I'll help coach the linebackers. You would do that, said Lombardi? You think you got another year or two in you? For you, coach, absolutely. He already had in Washington, Lombardi already had what a, a Hall of Fame quarterback in the making, Sonny Jurgensen. 
one of the most colorful characters in the NFL, uh, one of the most gifted pastors in the NFL, but also a notoriously free-spirited player. He would stay out late frequently, sometimes the night before a game. He would smell like the bar that he had spent the night in when he walked to the line. And he did not look like a football player. He looked like a lineman. His belly hung out over his pants. But he had an arm made of gold, and he was super, super smart. He did things his own way, and he infuriated his coaches because he often and openly disagreed with them and would change the plays that they sent onto the field because Sonny knew better. In his first meeting with Vince Lombardi, Lombardi told him, I want you to just be yourself and play hard. Funny thing was, the old coach never told the old quarterback, you can't go out to bars anymore. He didn't tell him that. But Sonny stopped going anyway. For the first time in his life, some of Jurgensen's teammates said he had a head coach who knew more about football than he did. Lombardi's tenure with the Redskins was shut, cut, cut short by, uh, by illness. But in that first season, they had their first winning season in 14 years, and the future looked bright. And Jurgensen has said that playing for Lombardi was the highest honor of his professional career. He said, if, it had gone, if I'd gotten to play for him longer, it wouldn't have been fair. It was so easy and so fun. Lombardi was not trying to turn Jurgensen into Bart Starr, who had been his quarterback in Green Bay. They were completely different players. This was not, you know, cookie-cutter football. He wanted to help Jurgensen be the best version of himself, but that did mean that Jurgensen had to listen to his coach and do what his coach said and trust that his coach would put him in a position to win, to be his best possible self. And he did. He didn't argue with him. When he was asked for his opinion, he gave it. When Lombardi called the plays, he ran them. It's fun to be a fan and even a super fan of Jesus, enthusiastic admirers, and who of us isn't? But it's awesome and life-changing to be a follower of Jesus. To hear and respond to his call to follow him. Trust him. Let him immerse us in the kingdom that he is bringing and learn to live a life of love. I mean, that's the subversive part of the kingdom Jesus brings. That's why it's a subversive spirituality to which we are called. It's not a spectator spirituality. It's a subversive spirituality. We live in the world, but we live in in all of its messiness and ugliness. We are learning from Jesus how to live a life of love. To live in the world as it is. Toward the world as it will be. We're all fans. 
Are you also a follower? Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this message will help you have a great week by helping you walk in faith, hope, and love. Looking for more information about Canon? Check us out on the web at canonchurch.org or follow us on Facebook at Canon UMC and Instagram at Canon Church 2424.